Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome back to The Daily Evolver. Today, I am joined by David Loy, the author of what I consider to be a beautiful and significant new book in the integral world. It's called Rediscovering Darwin, the rest of Darwin's theory and why we need it today. I am also joined by Rian Eisler, and I have to say a little starstruck because uh, Rian, your book, The Chalice and the Blade, uh, was what a big book for me and for all of my friends back at whatever it was, the late 80s, where you laid out ideas of cultural evolution and talked about the integration of masculine and feminine principles. And I, I can still feel the thrill of that book. So it's great to have you with us. And I guess it's on its 56th printing, well-deserved. And uh, and so uh, the, the, the uh, surprise and secret here is that David and Rian are married, and uh, I am happy to have you both. Thank you for coming to The Daily Evolver. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, so Rian, you're going to be here as backup. And, and we're going to talk about David's book, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about you, David, in a second here. Uh, but uh, David, you're 93 years old. Yes, and you've been working on this for you know most of your uh, professional life, mm -hmm. and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thirty years, thirty years, and I, I should explain that I, I actually I, I've been sailing under false. Uh, uh, colors up to this point because I've been passing myself off as 93 now for six months. I'll actually be 93 day after tomorrow. Oh, really? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so I'm, 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 but being 93, I have a tendency to get all wound up and go off, 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 off. And then I can't remember where I'm going. She's here. One reason she's here is to jump in. And save me, <laughs> like I'm, all of a sudden I'm off the lock into the water. I'm drowning, and Curie's just down, pulls me out. Well, I well. this book, I think it's a very important contribution, especially at this time when we're seeing such a regression worldwide. Really, certainly in this country. And uh, so I want to be here with my wonderful partner. Um, right on. Now. 40 years, 40 years ago. Is that right? Wow. Well, congratulations on that, and happy birthday, David. Yes. Yes. I was, I was 52 when I met her. She was 36. Uh, this 46. Is Why don't we go on to Okay, okay. Yeah, let, let me just give my listeners a little more background on you, David. Okay. So, David. So, David is a psychologist, an evolutionary system scientist. This, this is a, a, a high-end guy here. He's written 30 books, including Darwin's Lost Theory. He is a former member of the faculty at both the Princeton and UCLA schools of medicine. And he is best known for his fight to update and expand evolutionary theory following his discovery of, a long -buried, of the long-buried rest of Darwin's theory, the part that emphasizes love, morality and spirituality as higher order drivers of evolution and to break the fixation that modern science has on the survival of the fittest and the selfish gene part of the teaching. 
So um, part of your thesis also, David, is that by ignoring this part of Darwin's teaching, we have created, and I love how you put this, a hole in the modern mind that is pernicious and that integrating this moral and spiritual aspect of Darwin's teaching is what we need to move to the next stage of evolution, a more healthy, humane, exciting world, all that good stuff. So maybe we start there, David, with you unpacking a little bit of these two parts of Darwin's theory and the half that is being rediscovered and brought forward in your work. Just let me quickly comment on responding the hole in the head of modern mind. For the first time I've heard somebody recognize how apt that is. You know, the, uh, Darwin's theory, the rest of Darwin's theory falls in place like this. There is a, we're familiar with the first half, which is, comes from origin of species. And, and, and it's been degraded into survival of the fittest and so on, and then selfish genes and so on. And, um, but, we, but the second half, that's what I was finding, was that there are two halves there. And how I found it was we were, uh, we were both members, we were actually co-founders with Irwin Laszlo of the General Evolution Research Group. We were meeting secretly in Budapest during the Cold War, with Russia and the United States, you know, playing nuclear chicken game. And, and we didn't, I, at least I didn't know what was happening. I mean, I didn't know why they wanted me. And, I, and we got there. Turned out that what Laszlo was proposing was that we should, he says there are all kinds of problems with the present theory of evolution. What we should do is see if we can come up with a positive slant that will drop this survival of the fittest uh, thing that's destroying us, a positive thing, and and that's what we set out to do. After we had been about 10 years at this with other scientists involved internationally in the General Evolution Research Group, I came to the conclusion we weren't getting anywhere. I thought to myself, what what would Darwin think of this? And I thought, who who do I know that even reads Darwin anymore? And so I had a a, a computerized disk of the descent of man, and I started into it. And the first thing I discovered was, I thought, well, I'm going to feed the machine this familiar phrase, survival of the fittest. How many times did he write about survival of the fittest? He only wrote twice in the whole book. One time to say, in a sense, I'm sorry I ever used this thing. <laughs> I yeah. thought to myself, now what's the exact opposite of survival of the fittest? Well, something like love, and, you know, put in love. Bing, bing, 95 times. 95 times he's writing about love in the descent of man. And with one, only a single entry in the index, this is how they actually blanked out on anything to do with love. And um, and then, my God, what's going on here? And I thought, well, I'll try 
I'll try selfishness. I'll, you know, selfishness. That, that that's, uh, runs all through this, fouling people up. And, and I got six times. I thought, well, why not? what's the episode of uh, selfishness? Uh, something like altruism, something moral, something we're doing with the moral sense. So I put that in. He's writing 92 times about the moral sense, the need for it. He, he, he even has, I even have quotes of his where he's saying, in effect, this is it, this is it. The struggle for existence drops away. And, and at our level of advancement, the moral thing is, is, is the top thing. And well, anyway, that, that was part of the lost. In other words, it's, it's so ironic, so, so strange. The people that put together the, the, what I, the neo-Darwinian formation in the, the, the great, known as the Great Synthesis in 1942, led by Julian Huxley, uh, they had focused on, on what did they focus on? <laughs> well, on, on genetics, um, because it, uh, when Darwin wrote, um, we didn't have the knowledge about the genetic factor involved. But actually, Dobzhansky did write about cultural evolution. And I just want to add, darling, that really what's so exciting about this book and about the other works uh, that, that, that David Loy has, has published in this area is that truly the book dealing with human evolution, which is which he called the scent of man, right. has been ignored. <clears throat> and this is a terrible thing because uh, even the first part has largely been, as David said, degraded mm-hmm. because survival of the fittest has been interpreted as survival of the meanest, mm-hmm. the nastiest, the most selfish. Uh, yeah. But as, as Darwin emphasized again and again in The Scent of Man, uh, with human evolution, you really have to move to cultural evolution. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to let you okay. continue. Yeah. Uh, let me put this first half, second half thing in context historically. The, 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 the first half out of uh, Origin of Species is by now well-established. It's more than well-established. The second half uh, is uh, it, that's that, that's the rest of Darwin that was buried has been ignored by and large for a hundred years. But and the, the fascinating thing to me behind the scenes as a scientist is that the first half it was biologists. They were all biologists. They didn't have they didn't know anything about cultural evolution. They didn't know anything about social science and so on. And they were strictly restricted to biological evolution. Well, they were materialists, David, right? I mean, they just wanted to work with things they could measure. And, exactly. And, okay. Exactly. But um, the second half, see, Darwin moved on. He, he, he moved way beyond them. He moved so far beyond them that I discovered in the Darwin's, uh, in the Descent of Man, evidence of the roots of Self-organizing theories, one of the hottest things in science today. 
plus even the, one of the principles of chaos theory. Mm -hmm. And um, but anyway, it, the, 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 in a way, the the um, all right. The most important thing uh, is the point that you're making, which is that basically, uh, even though, uh, and I wish you would talk about Romanus, because Romanus was a disciple, a uh, very, very close disciple. Right. Well, well, let, let me just see, because I, I, I read the book and I've, I found it very, really influential. It really has made me think differently about this. And Darwin's first and maybe most famous book is Origin of the Species, where he talks about evolution really up to man, is what you point out, up to humanity. And then years later, wrote The Descent of Man, which is about the evolution of humanity, more focused on that. And, and it's in this second book, The Descent of Man, that this moral principle and the love and spirituality is seen as drivers of evolution. Right. Yeah. And, and so then his um, and, and that was uh, ignored almost immediately. And his uh, his biggest disciple uh, complained about that and, and pointed that out. But it really didn't fix itself. And so maybe talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, the man known as Darwin's disciple. Uh, George Romanes was very, worked very close with Darwin for the ten year, last several years of his life, and he was he he, he literally he, he went on to become a famous British psychologist. The, the, the neo Darwinian they already were neo Darwinian. They were shaping Darwin into. The, the, the neo-Darwinian theory, so-called, on his literally on his deathbed, he, he he came down with cancer, and he was he wrote this whole book he, on his deathbed. He was just completing it, in which he says, "Who are these neo-Darwinians that are taking Darwin and claiming, putting in their own ideas and claiming it's his and, and distorting him and." He went on and on. He was just turned. He, in my book, I characterize him as the first example of the gate breakers. In other words, the neo-Darwinians are the classic neo, uh, are the classic gate keepers. We're now in the hands of the gate keepers. The gate, keep, the gate breakers is the group. That includes everybody listening to this, includes you, includes us. And, 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 and the irony is that literally everything in the second half of that thing was dropped out of, the, of, the, of what was told to us as, as, as this is an evolution theory. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it seems to me that we just went through a, a phase of materialism where we couldn't hear it. It didn't. We didn't have receptors for that. We wanted to get rid of religion. Um, I, I would say that it's more than materialism, because uh, the social science also uses empirical data. It was really, what do you study? 
And do you only study the biological or do you really take into account what Darwin himself had to say about what happens with human evolution where culture, that human creation we call culture, uh, plays such a vital role? So why don't you uh, sort of lay that out for us a little bit about what Darwin said about how, um, you know, culture evolves and what are the mechanisms and how these higher order principles actually work? Well, he he, he, actually, in the later part of my research, identified what I call the five major or the five prime factors in Darwin's in the rest of Darwin's theory. And they are they are these. And and, and notice how the, notice how these the things I'm describing are actually what you, what Ken, what 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 we resonate to are, are working at. One the first one was um, sex. He had a new take on sex which I can explain more later about, well, let me get all five out. Sex. The next one was love. Here's this concept that's been in every theory of evolution from at least Empedocles in Greek through Jesus on, on, on. Love, and it comes to our time, and Neo-Darwinians don't even mention it. They, They put one entry in a book that has 95 times writing about love. Then, then another one was a community. They call it, in his day, they called it mutual aid, mutual aid, working together for the good of all. And, and, and he, he, he was insisting that was part of the thing. And, um, and then, then his, 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 his chief attempt at saving us from ourselves, the moral sense. He developed the concept of the moral sense. And, 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 he, and that, that is particularly interesting to me because he was the first to provide a scientific basis for something that was only articulated up to that point in philosophy and, 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 and in, in the humanities. And then came a really bombshell, in a way. Here, here is this, all this stuff about the big gulf, the battle between science and religion and and, um, and and there's no point in going into it because everybody's familiar with it. But he writes about spirituality. Here is a man who, who, who before he went on the voyage to the Bagel, was in the divinity studies at Cambridge. And here he is, and and and, and he uh, he's writing about. He doesn't refer to that, but he's writing about the um, uh, the, the function. The, the, the function of both religion and spirituality, that this was necessary for evolution of, 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 the, of, of, our, of our species. He did not believe in God, but he, he, he was like, he was a, a Unitarian in his time. All, well, actually, he was, his whole family were Unitarians. Yeah, and, and and he also had this. I love a quote that you uh, uh, you put in your book from Darwin, where you know he's talking about the future perfection, and and I and I'll I'll quote it. You say 
This is from Darwin. He says, looking to future generations, this is where we're going, there's no cause to fear that the social instincts will grow weaker, and we may expect that virtuous habits will grow stronger. In this case, the struggle between our higher and lower impulses will be less severe, and virtue will be triumphant. I love that. That sounds like me. Well, but it's unfortunate. But now it's hard to believe by now. <laughs> Two world wars, Hitler, and now yeah. it's hard to believe that. Uh, see, Dar- Darwin was in, in the 19th century. They were looking forward with great hopes for the 20th century. Right. They were selling the idea that everything that's bad in the, in the 19th century here is going to be done away with. It's going to be all. It's going to be utopia in the 20th century, and we, you, everybody knows what we got in the 20th century. Well, except if I may say, yes, we've had some massive regressions in the 20th and 21st century, but slavery is no longer considered acceptable. Uh, public executions and torture are no longer considered acceptable. Our child labor is a uh, many parts of the world no longer considered acceptable. I mean, if you really look, there has been movement uh, in the direction. Well, and particularly uh, since World War II, uh, in the developed world, uh, just uh, this massive long piece of, you know, a decrease in violence and increase or decrease in poverty. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, as you say, there's a lot of evidence of, of that sort of moral movement. Yes. Um, but yeah, some, you know, these regressions are brutal. Yes, yeah. they are. You know, and I could see where, it, 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 it's so interesting, David, uh, you know, God bless you, man. I mean, for somebody who's in, in the inter- evolutionary movement, and the integral movement, you are a living piece of history. You started, you were back with this Budapest club with Urban Laszlo, where you're sneaking behind the Iron Curtain and thinking these heretical thoughts. And this is our heritage. And I want to honor you and, and, and appreciate you for that. And you're you know, and, and and still bringing it forward at age ninety-two and a half. Well, thank you. The reason that I I'm rather pessimistic right now is that I, I am also a World War II veteran, married to a Holocaust survivor, and good Lord, what gets me is I see all the evidence of the move toward fascism, the uh, the authoritarians taking over one country after another. Now the big test here in this country is: Are we going to get rid of the precursor of the big, big time authoritarians and go on? See, I pray that Darwin was right. That long term, once we get through this downturn, that we're going to pull together and 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 and, 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 and thrive and do more than survive, achieve, fulfill. See, that's what haunts me is. Yeah. Darwin is showing is that we, we are programmed. There's this book by uh, uh, Dacker uh, Kettler, uh, Born to be Good. We are. And there's been this historical battle between religion, within the religious domination between the view that we are born good or we're born bad. And this, and the, 
born good, all the evidence for born good is so massive. We have this vast potential and, and, and we keep getting bypassed, shoved off as, into, into these regressions that we're going through right now. Well, and as you point out, um, you know, when you, you you sort of create these three big categories of, of people who are dealing with these ultimate questions, one is the neo-Darwinists, one is, I think you call them the super neos, yeah. and then the uh, creationists. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and that still it is uh, just a, the conventional wisdom in science uh, with Dawkins and the selfish gene and Daniel Dennett and these guys is that I'll, I'll read a quote that you, you put in your book from Dawkins and it, it sums it up. I th- you, you presented it as it sums it up, and I think you're right. And here's what Dawkins says. He says, nature is not cruel, only pitilessly indifferent. This is one of the hardest lessons for humans to learn. We cannot admit that things might be neither good nor evil, neither cruel nor kind, but simply callously indifferent to all suffering, lacking in all purpose. Not very inspiring. No, and, and, and that's the bunch that have been grinding out literally thousands of titles. Dawkins, an awfully good writer, incredibly prolific, but the, in a way, <laughs> we've been they've been selling poison for for they they pretty much taken over the the availability for publishing. I mean, our side, the great gate breakers, we can get in here and there. Ken um, got his great boost from the Shambhala. We, we can get in the, there, but, but it's peripheral in, in relation to them. They're catering to the mainstream need for, unfortunately, for a big investment in keeping the idea of the survival of the fittest alive. For, you know, for the, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I agree. And it's still very much the dominant thinking in science. And, um, but, you know, I, I was reading, reading Stephen Pinker, his new book, Enlightenment Now, where he argues for, you know, the Enlightenment values, not spiritual enlightenment. Uh, but even he kind of, uh, he's like, I hate to think that there is some sort of moral arc to the universe, but it appears that there is. And so, you know, I could see a little bit of cognitive dissonance in some of these hard scientists that maybe the harbinger of, you know, breaking loose this, you know, contraction around, you know, basically the exteriors. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I get into that aspect of the super neos. There are all these negative aspects, and, and I, have a, I have one of the most brutal quotes about the super neos when they got on the way. Uh, I, I'll even read it to you if you want. But yeah, do. Okay, this is this is this is the attitude that they got on their way with. It's um, it's this is a, and this was became the the most infamous quote from the super neo 
rise of the super neos. We're talking the super neo-Darwinists. Yeah. Yes. Given a full, fair chance, given a full chance to act in his own interests, nothing but expediency will restrain him from brutalizing, from maiming, from murdering his brother, his mate, or his child. Scratch an altruist and, 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 and watch a hype, uh, uh, Hippocrat bleed. No hint of genuine ther- charity ameliorates our vision of society once sentimentalism has been laid aside. Wow. But I love that scratch an altruist and see a hypocrite bleed. See, to go on to, to Pinker, though, in, in my book, I point out, I point out, I go into great depth on the bad, bad side of the super neos, sociologists, evolutionary psychologists. But I also point out that there's hope, hope they're going to grow up enough to, to uh, get away from what they're manufacturing. I refer to both Tinker and Sam Harris. Sam Harris, brilliant guy, uh, fighting religion, tooth and nail and so on. Right. But he, but he is identified with this, uh, the super males. They have, they have started writing with understanding of the moral sense. I, I see that from what you quote that uh, um, Pinker is a little uncomfortable with. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Sam Harris's, I don't know if it's his latest book, but it's just not more than a couple of years old. It's called Waking Up. Yeah. You know, it's it's about spiritual waking up. Now, he doesn't see it as being anything that's beyond the brain or anything like that. But at least they're working in that territory and trying to break out of this suffocating, um, you know, scientism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the tide is beginning to turn. And I think that uh, not only the names that were just mentioned, but a lot of social biologists um, and and certainly quite a number of uh, evolutionary psychologists, primatologists, etc., are beginning to talk. And 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 I'm actually writing about that in my new book, which will be out uh, next year. But I do want to say here that I think what David is doing in this book is a very very important contribution turning the tide because we really have to start with how the originator of evolutionary theory uh, that is today considered uh, you know gospel has been so uh, misinterpreted I know isn't that something yeah so I, I really want to say that this is a very important part yeah Turning of the tide. Yeah. See, what, what I see is, well, how is this book going to be received? Where is it going? Will it, just, will it just be, see, for instance, the whole idea of Darwin's, oh, yes, oh, there it is. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful. This is this, I have to talk so the screen goes to me. Rediscovering Darwin, the rest of Darwin's theory and why we need it today, David Loy. 
available at Amazon and everywhere else. That's the screen isn't going to you. Here it is. Oh, there it is. Okay, good. There it is. Hold it into the screen right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and see that ship going and see the clouds. There's Darwin Young and Darwin Old and the cloudy. It's a gloomy setting, but this bright ship is going there. That's what I see. We're, we're the, the, the world of challenge, the world of, the, of, 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 of downfall. But that, that golden ship is us. Yeah. It's us if we wake up. Well, well, let's talk about that. So let's say that, you know, your book is successful, influential, and your work has been all along. Uh, what does bringing back this moral sense, spirituality, love into the evolutionary framework do? How does that, you know, apply to our challenges? Uh, you've talked about supersynthesis. Um, you know, uh, how do you see it, David? Well, I see that. See, the question is, what's going to happen to this book? What's going to happen to anybody that's trying to push the rest of Darwin, no matter how much it makes sense? But I see over and over people get very enthusiastic. They see, oh, boy, boy, this is, this is really great. But it doesn't last. They're all busy. They all have their own agendas. And it's not getting reinforcement. This the hope, as I see it, is if this book gets enough support to have some weight, where then the people get enthusiastic, and then they look over and they say, "Well, so and so is," you know, the, the book opens with uh, Wilbur and Laszlo and uh, Chick Mahaley and others raving about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have some pretty darn amazing testimonials here from people all over the place uh, who think that this is an immensely important book, uh, puts together a giant jigsaw puzzle, uh, revolutionary, revolutionizes current evolutionary theory. I mean, people, I think, are responding to this book. Yeah, by the looks of the pre-publication reviews. Yeah, but see, the, the central thing that I want to get across is that, that, is that the, 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 the gatekeepers uh, have, have the monopoly on evolution theory at this point, and the, um, the significance of, of bringing Darwin's lost theory and Darwin's uh, buried half to the surface is that they have taken over Darwin. They've taken over the power. They, they, if they say, blah, 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 well, see, that's Darwin and so on. The beauty of this thing is it can give us Darwin shifts from them to us as our 900-pound gorilla. It gives us the force. We can, we can, all we integralists and, and, and all, all the people within our orientation, we can work our off and, and, and go only so far. But if we can also claim the big name in evolution, we've got a chance to, I think, to, to survive it. Well, it's all right there. I mean, you have you have brought it to light. I mean, it's in Darwin's words, and um, 
and, and very beautiful. You know, I mean, I love, uh, you know, even where he talks about the animals and how it's real appreciation for beauty that is behind the female choice of mating with the male. And she finds his song beautiful, not just, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, signifying uh, suitability and, 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 and survival, but she loves the colors of his uh, feathers and and that love and and it is built into the evolutionary matrix it's built into the evolutionary erotic flow yeah see hallelujah and darwin where he was where he was going on that see a, a lot of people have just thrown thrown out all that out they just oh those are just little charming uh animal stories that's just winnie the pooh <laughs> so far. What he's writing over and over and over again is the power of love at, at the, the level pre- preceding us that is in our hands now, and we're, we're, we're not using it adequately. But see, he was also, this, he's considered, uh, he's been charged with being a, 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 a sexist, sexist still. And the interesting thing that I discovered was that he was sneaking in these little commentaries that were anti-macho. I've got one here that I love. Let me let me see. Let me just take a second here. But it was in a sense a oh yeah. Where is it? Uh, I, I do want to say that he was sexist. He reflected his time. But at the same time, and that's what's so interesting about uh, Darwin, uh, he also had a real appreciation uh, for uh, the so-called feminine qualities that men, of course, also have, but that our socialization stresses and distorts, uh, and therefore of women. And there is your... I, 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 I am absolutely flabbergasted. Why are you flabbergasted? I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is typical. Well, let me find you know, it for you. No, you, you won't find it because apparently it isn't there. This is typical. I, I am cursed because I'm exploring this. Time and after time, when I make one step Daddy, forward, it's, it's right here. Where <laughs> the curse has been lifted. Oh, here it is. Oh, here it is. You, you saw who found it. I did. Yeah, Riyadh found it. Oh, I'll tell you, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> and the curse has been lifted. So share it with us, David. His, uh, his, his interesting thing, his take on sex was this. The standard mainstream neo-Darwinian thing is pretty much sex is just simply, you know, the sex thing, mating, and, um, and it's, it's, it's your fitness component. Your fitness component is how many uh, children you're going to uh, sire. That's, that, that's all they're interested in as far as sex goes. And uh, but Darwin was saying, "Look, fellas, it, there's more to it. 
there is a other dimension here that, uh, that you get into when you consider the differences between male and female. But, but there are nuances here that really matter. And here, here's, here's what he said. He says, woman seems to differ from man in mental disposition, chiefly in her greater tenderness and less selfishness. Man is the rival of other men. He delights in competition, and this leads to ambition, which passes too easily into selfishness. And I think, and of course, he's describing the male stereotype, the masculine stereotype, that was even stronger in his time. Right. And also, here's, here's another one that, that is uh, anti, this is an example of his anti-macho stance. He says, or she may accept, as appearances would sometimes lead us to believe, not the male which is most attractive to her, but the one which is the least distasteful. And I think that's a rather snide remark. No. <laughs> I don't know that that's accurate. I mean, well, I like the one where you put here, let's see. If, a fe- if female birds had been incapable of appreciating the beautiful colors, ornaments, voices of their male partners, all the labor and anxiety exhibited by the latter, the males, in displaying their charms before the females would have been thrown away. And that's impossible to contemplate. That was see, his, his big thing. One of his, besides besides uh, natural selection, the big thing for him was sexual selection. Yeah. That was just ignored. For a long time. Well, the Victorians weren't going to go for female sexual selection too much. Let's face it. But I, I want to say something here, which is this is bringing not only does um, David Lloyd's book bring Darwin to life, but he also uh, shows uh, his humanity. I mean, which so few books on evolution until now until now, have done. I mean, yeah. the tide is beginning to change, uh, which does not mean that we will get rid of the resistance. Because really, if you think about uh, the uh, neo-Darwinians or the social biologists, etc., who have taken this negative view, it's the same view of human nature as the original sin one. Yeah, and we're fallen and in some logic. way. It's yeah. an ideological bias. Yeah. And I think that one of the main things that you bring up is that Darwin, strangely and wonderfully, did not share this bias. Right. And I think that's so important. Let me give you one little anecdote. Darwin was actually a precursor of social security. In his, time, in his community, a little town of Down near London, he was, he was actually, here's the greatest scientist living then. He was, he was employed also as a local magistrate. This one scientist who was visiting wrote about, how, I think it was Romanes visiting, marveled that in the middle of the uh, scientific discussion they were having, Darwin had to switch as a magistrate and decide 
whether where a pig could cross the road. And but the one thing I love is this: he was very concerned about the boom bust uh, cycle in, in in capitalism, where everybody's thrown out of work, and then there's work, and then they're thrown out, and so on. And so what he he put in he. Uh, the, the Down Friends Club, he collected money and, and in turn invested. He was a, a very sharp businessman. He invested that money and and he collected money from the uh, citizens there. And, and then when when the crash came, he would, they would disturb they distribute it. See, so it was like it was like. An early form of social security. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a just all around lovable guy. Yeah. I loved reading your book because it is so fascinating and so accessible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, go on, Brianna. I'm, so, I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, I just wanted to bring that out because I think when people hear Darwin and evolution, they think it's going to be something really dry. But it's really almost like a detective story. Yeah. It? Yeah, and that's what I actually extra love about this book is, first of all, it's not that super long. You know, you can actually read it uh, in a couple sittings. And it it not only brings forth this uh, humanity of Darwin himself and his and this humane second half of his teaching that really, you know, has been left out. uh, But uh, you tell it as a detective story. David, you, you 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 tell it as your how how it was revealed to you over your really decades of contemplating this and working with the really cool people in our lineage, and you know I learned a lot just even about the history of my own thinking. This is all such music to my ears because while I was writing it, I had to continually think: Dare I do this? I, I better not. And then I think: Well, hell, I'm. You know, I'm in my 90s now. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to say what I think, and 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 and, and that and that comes that comes through. It does indeed. Very much so. Yeah, and 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 you know, so a, a really uh, uh, it, it, the book pulls you through. So anyway, uh, I think we're about out of time. A little over time, actually. All good. That's a great thing about the internet. They don't really stop you. Right. So, uh, but I want to thank you so much, David, first of all, for your life's work. And particularly for this book, Rediscovering Darwin, and um, for joining us on The Daily Evolver. And Rian Eisler, the, to meet you finally is just a real honor. And um, I'm looking forward to what's next from you as well. Well, this has been a pleasure, been a pleasure. And um, I just, uh, as I said, I'm just here because I think this is a fabulous book. Yes, well, I agree. And uh, so, yes, thanks again, everybody. David, is there one other thing you wanted to say? Yes, I want to say that you're part of something that is astounding. Will, not only Wilbur's work, which is revolutionary and it's one of the last, I, I was turned on first by the Ottman Project. And that's going to last. But the team, the team that he's built, all these people in, in, into, into, on into foreign countries that are using the integral approach 
and, and, and bring it on. There's nothing comparable, nothing comparable to what you're doing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm so thrilled to be able to do it and to highlight how people are using integral theory uh, to bring a more, make a more complete, humane world. You know, that's what's next, I hope. So it's my great honor. All right. Well, thank you again, David Loy and Rian Eisler. And thank you, everybody, for listening to The Daily Evolver and check back for the next episode. Bye, folks. Thank you.